morning, everyone. Great to be here with you all. Um, I was going to make a joke about the English and the rugby, but I think I'll hold back to let's think about better things. Yes, I know we don't talk about the cricket because England is number one, so we'll leave it at that. But um, it is good to be together this morning. Amazing to enjoy God's presence, to sing together. Um, you know, if you're joining us at church today, it's not uh, normally your thing. Maybe you're just looking in. Maybe you're exploring. Obviously, fantastic to have you with us. Hope you feel at home and relaxed. Uh, some of you might be joining us from either YouTube or Facebook. Um, we kind of made a last-minute decision for me to preach this week, so we didn't have time to record it. So we made an encouragement for people to move across into the Zoom meeting. So if you're just joining us, good to have you with us. Um, I get to do week three of our origin series and really excited about it. I don't know if you guys know this. I mean, we've spoken about it, but Genesis chapter one, two, and three are, are some of the most important chapters in all the scriptures. Someone uh, needs to just mute there. I think it's uh, Leisha and Clive. It's okay. No problem. <laughs> um, three of the most important uh chapters in the Bible, they're like a slab, like a foundation slab that you lay upon which you build a house, upon which you can build um, a text. Z, are you? There we go. So the first three chapters of Genesis, what they do is they lay a foundation for us to stand so much of who we are, of how our world operates, why the world is like it is. It's actually, it, it's, it's like the, the strongest chapters that speak to our biblical worldview. A worldview is how we make sense of the world, how we make sense of, our, of ourselves, how we make sense of how we fit in and, and how, when things happen and the way things happen, how we make sense of all of these things, what we truly believe about reality and existence is shaped hugely through these first three chapters. So they're very important. It you know, these chapters include values, truths, attitudes, expectations, which radically inform our thoughts and our actions and how we actually end up living our lives. Now, maybe you're joining us. Maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Uh, great to have you with us. As I said, you've picked a brilliant time to just check in and listen in to us because what we're talking about today is extremely important. I don't know if you've taken time to ever think about your worldview or how you see the world. I wonder, I wonder if it makes sense of your life. I wonder if how you see the world is, is congruent. In other words, that it works in every aspect of life, in every experience that you have, in, in all the turmoil and the complexity of life. Uh, does your worldview, does your understanding of how things exist, is it able uh, to contain the depth and complexity of it all. I can tell you honestly, as a, as a Bible-believing Christ follower, I, I believe it's only the Bible, it's only the revelation of a heavenly Father who created me, but loves me and wants to know me. It's the only revelation I have that can truly make sense of all of my life. And I believe it's the same for you. I believe God is the one who can make sense of your life. And, and as we continue this series, we're going to see what God's creative intent is that as God created the world he had intention but we know that this good intention has been distorted it's been damaged through what we call sin this rebellion against God's design his rule his love and and it's only as we hold these two things in tension God's God's brilliant intent in creation on the one side 
and then the distortion and the decay that sin has brought into the world, as we hold these two things and understand the impact of them, then we only it's the only time we're truly able to make sense of our lives and the world in which we live. I believe it's only then that, that you're going to discover that you really matter, that you're loved, that God wants to get to work uh, restoring and redeeming you. Until the day comes when God does away with this broken world and there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new creation. And we get to spend eternity with God in this beautiful, beautiful place he's preparing for us. So if you're new to church, hope you join us for the rest of the series. I think it's another four weeks as we unpack more of what I'm talking about. So today I get to speak to us about us, the origin and purpose of humanity. How do we fit into creation? What was God's intent when he created people, men and women? Truthfully, this is a huge topic. It's a series all on its own. Today, I just want to stick, stick to some key texts in, in Genesis 1, a little bit in Genesis 2, and just pull out some key truths that I think will strengthen and help us. If I had to ask you at the moment, just to stop wherever you are, and you had to complete the sentence, the purpose of my life is dot, dot, dot. What, what would you write? The purpose of my life is. It's actually a very important question to, to think about, maybe harder to answer than you imagine. Of course, you know, there's the Sunday school answers, but heads up, the answer to this one isn't Jesus. You don't get a sticker for saying that. Um, but the truth is, we can know intellectually, and we can know what we think the answer is, but really, what is the purpose of your life? How does it find expression in your diary, your work, your friendships, your activities, your dreams? Maybe if you're not sure how to answer that question, uh, you could just reverse engineer the kind of whole thing. You can start by maybe having a look at your diary having a look at your work, your dreams, friendships, activities, what you give yourself to, and ask yourself the question, why am I doing all these things? Or what's driving my activity? Or what am I hoping is the outcome of all of this living? And you should be able to get to that answer. The purpose of my life is. Now, truth be told, most of us find a gap between what we know the, the answer to that question maybe should be as Christians and the reality of our life. And I think part of the problem of that gap is that we've forgotten our origin. We've forgotten our God-given purpose. And this morning, my prayer is that this message, these few moments really helps us close the gap between our lives and our God-given purpose. And again, it's so important because I think one of the things that COVID's taught us, I mean, we think about the not only COVID, but also lockdown here in South Africa. What it's taught us is that there's so much that we could be building our lives on. There's so much we could be banking on as most important in our lives that are really unworthy of our worship, that are unworthy of our devotion, unworthy of our hope. I'm thinking of things like career financial gain, family, business, leisure, popularity, influence, comfort, success. I mean, and all that comes with success, it, it, these things are not worthy of being our ultimate purpose. And the reason I'm saying that is because 
when our sense of purpose, when our sense of meaning can be taken away from us through death, through disease, through isolation, through economic upheaval, through sickness, unemployment, isolation, when our, our reason for living can be rocked and shaken to the core by these things, we're vulnerable, we're in danger. And I think we need to go back to our origins, go back to what God has placed within us as the purpose for our existence. There's a better way for us than banking our lives on these shakable foundations. And man, I don't want to demonize any of those things. Please hear me. Like there's nothing wrong with wealth and work and family and, you know, success and influence. These things are not bad, but we need to rightly place and prioritize these things in our life. So this is where we're going today. There's four movements to my message today. One, I want to just make a quick comment and pull together the last two weeks. Then I'm going to look at Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27, and we're going to look at our origin. Then we're going to look at our purpose. And then I want to land by just sharing some thoughts of why so many people struggle with the sense of purpose. So here we go. Let me start. The last two weeks have been so good, but I just needed to say, I don't know if it's just me or if you're in the same boat, but they felt quite heady. I, I don't know if it's just the season of life we're in and maybe that it's on a screen and we're all just a bit, you know, information out. I just sometimes have just struggled to, to really engage, but there's been a lot of truth and a lot of brilliant truth that's been shared over the last few weeks. And, and I wanted to say to you, that is the nature of the origin series. You know, we have to apply our minds. We have to really lay these foundations. And over the next few weeks, as we play that out next week, Derek Broom sharing with us on work. And then we're looking at uh, the origin of sin, the origin of death. They really are going to become more and more practical. But I wanted to highlight two things that I've walked away from over the last two weeks that have really impacted me deeply. Because every time we hear God's word open to us, we, we're expecting God to shape us and form us. The first thing I've walked away with is this idea, don't forget who God is. Don't forget who God is. The immense power, the precision, the creativity, the energy, the intellect, the detail and wonder of creation. They remind us who it is that we worship. God. You know, maybe... One of the things we miss from the days of cathedrals and going into a cathedral as a place of worship is walking in and feeling small. You know, walking in and, and being reminded that the God we worship is great and wonderful and big and over us and extravagant. You know, maybe in our spiritual lives, we can sometimes diminish God you know, kind of into our image, kind of make him smaller and smaller. We need now and again to be reminded that God is powerful, that he's the creator, and that we serve a mighty king. Of course, there's another reason we need to remember who God is, because if he really is the creator, then, then our world and our lives only make sense because of who God is. They only have meaning because of, because of who God is. So if we have a high view of God, we're going to have a healthy view of ourselves. If we have a low view of God, we're going to have a low view of ourselves and the world around us. And then the second big takeaway that I've had is, is just a reminder not to let the debate about exactly how creation happens take away from the fact that it's God who created everything, including us. And the world only makes sense as we look to God 
as we look to his word. God is not part of creation. God is not subject to grace. It is not limited by its laws. God is outside of creation. And he reveals to us through creation, through his word, through the church, who he is and what he's doing in the world. Okay, let me move on. This is the, the second movement of our message. I want to look at the topic, the origin of humanity. The origin of humanity. Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Well, this is God's word. This is God's truth. And may he speak to us today through it. Now, you know, when you read the creation account and then you read these verses, there are subtle differences in these verses that show us that humanity is unique in all of creation. That actually there's nothing in all of creation like you and I. So let me point out five of these subtle differences, four from this, these verses and one from Genesis 2. The first subtle difference between humanity and the rest of creation is that it seems more personal. You know, normally in the creation story, you hear, then God said, and then, and then he normally says, let there be, you know, let there be light. But something different is happening here. You don't get the let there be. What you get is actually this personalized first person language of let us make man. There's something different happening here from the rest of creation. Of creation. It's, it's a personal let us make man. And secondly, the unique thing is, is that our creation is unique in its kind. So if you were to look at the rest of the creation accounts, you know, when, when it speaks about, you know, creating, you know, everything that moves in the waters, the winged birds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, white animals, it always says according to their kind, according to their kind, but not so with people. We're not created according to our kind. We're not created according to any image other than the image of God himself. We are created in the image and likeness of God. That's unique about you and I compared to the rest of creation. We, we're not made for ourselves. We point to something greater. We point to someone greater. We represent something outside of this world as people. Okay, here's the third unique thing about the creation of people. It's this. It's male and female. Now we know that male and female is not unique in creation because we need to, to multiply animals. But this is the only time in the creation account that it's specifically mentioned. He created them male and female. He created them. And I think that's huge for us to just, to just pick up on for a moment. You know, in these in this small uh, distinctive and detail, we see the dignity, the equality of worth and value on display in creation between men and women. Men and women created equally before God in dignity, in worth, in purpose. In fact, we like to remind uh, men from time to time that women are actually the very apex of creation as those who were created last. God had worked out all the kinks and crowned his creation with women. 
But you know, as we reflect on, on God created them male and female, I think we have to, we have to take a look at ourselves as a, as a culture, as a country. You know, you think of femicide, think about violence against women and even children. It's, it's, it's a devastating perversion and tragedy in the face of God's creative intent for humanity. The way that a, a, a sex created by God with worth and dignity as the apex of creation can be so sinned against and perverted and broken. Man, we've got to trust God. We've got to do better as people. We've got to trust God. We've got to pray for God's intervention. And, you know, as I think about this more, I, on our prayer meeting, uh, Colin mentioned we prayed, I think it was, or maybe class, we prayed on Thursday night. We got together as pastors, and we were just praying for the church, uh, all the elders and our wives, just praying for the church, praying for the church. We were praying for the next gen. And it, it came on our hearts so strongly to pray into the area of pornography. And, and parents, I, I want to I remind you that you need to be aware of what's happening on your kids and their devices. And our kids are spending so much time on devices, so much time on the internet, so much time on screen. Do you know what's going on? We can't afford to be ignorant. You know, pornography is a perversion of God's creative intent. The dignity, the value of men and women degraded. And, and we were burdened and we prayed and we prayed. And I wanted to carry that through into the message this morning. And I just wanted to say to us, guys, let's trust God for freedom in this area. Let's confess our sins if need be. Let's get help. Parents, let's find out what's happening in our kids' lives on their screens. Let's get informed. We can't afford to be backfooted. Okay, let me move on. That was just a little sidebar. So those are the three distinctions. You know, we're, um, here's the fourth one is that we're given a distinct role in creation. We're given the command to subdue the earth. Subdue the earth. I mean, no other creature is given that role. And then let me quickly open Genesis 2 verse 7. It says this. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Here's a distinctive that sets us apart from the rest of creation is that we're God breathed. It's unique. No other animal, no other creation is given this privilege of and by the way, a lot of people, I love the picture, they, they think of prayer as, as in a sense, uh, as God breathed his breath into us, prayer is breathing out back to God. And we breathe in the life of God and we pray out the life of God. Just a beautiful picture that I was reminded of as I was preparing. So here are these five unique distinctions about creation of humanity. But the question is, what is the author trying to tell us? What does God want us to know about our origin through telling us about these few things? Well, here we go. Three things that one, humanity is created. That we're created. And I think it's important for us to understand that we're from the earth. We're tied to the earth. We're linked to the earth. We're dependent on the earth. We're not separate from creation. We can't live without creation. You know, um, we need to embed ourselves in creation, love creation, appreciate creation. But number two, humanity is distinct from any other creation. We need to know that. It's more personal. It's unique. It's male and female. There's a unique role. It's God-breathed. 
But then here's the third point. More than just being distinct or different, we're not just different. We are like God. We're given this awesome privilege of being made in the image and likeness of God. And so the obvious question is, in what way are we like God? In what way do we carry the likeness of God? This is kind of the third movement of our message now. I want us to look at our purpose as humanity. And we're going to travel backwards a little bit in the book of Genesis. I hope you're tracking with me. Uh, This is exciting stuff. We need to try and make sense of our purpose by asking ourselves what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. So we're going to go right back. Genesis 1 verse 2. It says, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So when God was creating the earth, in the beginning, it was, it was formless and void. The, the Hebrew words are, it was tohu wabohu, formless and void. It could, could mean it was empty, confused, without structure, like a wasteland. So the earth was like a wasteless, formless and void. And I I was meant to have a prop with me, but I I forgot to have the prop. That's what happens when you're at home. But imagine an empty box that's just flat. My wife's probably going to come running in. Don't worry, Hides. Um, You know, if you had a box that was just folded down, you couldn't couldn't do anything with it. It, it, It's not useful. But as soon as you fold that box and you lift the sides and you knit the bottom together, now all of a sudden this box has structure. It's got form, it's got order, and you can begin to fill it. You can begin to put it to use. And that's a brilliant picture of what God does in creation. He forms and then he fills the earth. So let's think about creation like that. Day one, God forms. So he creates light and separates it from darkness. Day two, God separates the waters below from the waters above and he forms the sky. Day three, God uh, forms dry land and separates the sea. So you can see here, God's bringing form. He's bringing structure. He's bringing order to creation. Then day four to six, God, once he's formed, he fills the earth. So the sky is filled with the sun, moon, and stars. The waters are filled with fish and the sea creatures, the sky with birds. Day six, the land is filled with mammals, reptiles, and finally, humanity. So you see this beautiful picture, God forming And then God filling the earth. And why does God do all this? God does it for his own glory. He does it for his own glory. Look at the scripture, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Guys, God forms and fills the earth as an expression, a celebration, a display of the glory and wonder of himself. God forms and fills the earth to put his glory on display. Now, remember what I'm talking about here. I'm answering the question What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? What is our our purpose? And we've seen that God formed and filled for his glory. Now, as we remember that, let's look at Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28 again, when it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. What that means, the word image, it it means like a shadow. 
Let us make man as a shadow. Let us make man as a representation of or a likeness of who we are and what we're doing. So God gives purpose to humanity by saying, you are to be my representation. You are to be my shadow. You are continue to do in creation what I have begun to do. So humanity is given the worth, the dignity, the purpose of being God's representation to continuing the work of God in creation. So in other words, we're to continue the work of God. We're to continue to form the earth. We're continue to fill the earth. We're continue to see God's glory extended and increased as God intended in creation. And so what does that look like? Well, there's, there's multiplication and filling the earth. You know, we're, we're to fill the earth with more representations of God to further extend and form and fill and extend the glory of God. You know, that's, that's sex. That's babies. Um, it's create, that's the fact that we're created for community. We're created for family. But think of us of the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. This isn't only about family. This isn't only about kids. The Great Commission is an extension of this call to multiply and fill the earth with representations of God. With little Christs, with little Christians that are, that are forming and filling the earth to the extension of God's glory. You know, you don't have to be a mother or a father. You don't have to be married to, to see this multiplication and this filling of the earth with, with uh, more and more representations of who God is to his glory. It also carries with it that biblical idea of we're blessed to be a blessing. We can multiply the work of God in this world through seeing more and more Christ followers formed and filled. Okay, then it speaks about subduing, which is subdue the earth. Now, that doesn't mean conquer or destroy. It speaks about taming something in order to make it useful for what it was intended for. So as Christ followers, what, as, as a representation or a shadow of God, our role is to tame the world in a way that it's, it's able to do what it was functioned to do, bring glory to God, put his beauty on display, his creativity on display, his wonder on display. Thinking about the beauty of just creating beautiful things, praiseworthy things. I mean, what about music, art, dance? What about planting a garden and, and just working on your garden or creativity? What about great innovation in any area of life? These are... These are ways that we tame things in order for, for them to bring glory to God. We, we elevate beauty, creativity, innovation, design, intention, so that God's glory is increased as we look at the wonder of who he is and what he's enabled us to do as his represent, representatives. Okay, and then we're to rule. We're to rule. And this speaks about work. Now, when I speak about work, I'm not talking about employment. That's, that's what you work for, for reward. And, and Derek's going to be speaking about that next week. But, you know, think, for example, of moms or primary caregivers. What about retirees? Those that have finished their season of employment. What about those who are maybe retired early through financial success or, or just good investment? We're all to rule. We're all to work. We're all to put ourselves at, we ought to give ourselves to the activity of seeing the earth formed and filled so that God's glory increases. 
so that the beauty of creation is elevated, that the order of creation is redeemed and restored. All of us get to do that. Whatever stage of life we're in, we never stop ruling as representatives of God in this world. I think of those involved in justice, those involved in seeing people restored of what about creating employment or opportunity for contribution? I mean, these are ways that we that we're multiplying the glory of God, that we're allowing people to take on their God-given purpose through contribution, through creativity, teaching art classes, education. I mean, so much of what we do is forming and filling for the glory of God. Okay, then Genesis 1.31. This is, this is a good one. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. I want to say to us that part of our purpose is to celebrate and enjoy and bless all that God has made in creation. We're to enjoy creation. We're to celebrate it. We can enjoy leisure. We can enjoy a walk on the beach for the glory of God. We can celebrate all that we see around us as a reflection of God's glory. So humanity, we're distinct as created beings. And under the authority of the leadership of God, we're, continue, we're to continue his work in creation. Think about this cool thought, guys. The Garden of Eden was to be the starting place of a society of sinless development that would form and fill the entire world. That was God's intention. To start with the Garden of Eden, to develop a society that would grow and expand and fill the whole earth to the glory of God. This is our ultimate purpose. This is why we were created. This is what we're to do with our one and only lives in this world. Now, one of the cool applications for this is our lives. Is, is that it starts to unravel any sense of like hyper-spirituality that we can have or this dualism that we can carry with us as Christ followers. Like, like in this world, there's the spiritual things and then there's our life. Or, you know, there's going to church and then there's family or there's, you know, life group and then there's our mates where actually we, that stuff all gets dissolved as we look at creation. And we're made of the dust infused by the spirits living for the glory of God. And so we, glorify, we seek to glorify God in every area of life, in the dirty, in the nitty gritty. Our playing field for our faith is every day. It's in the material. It's in the physical, the natural, the ordinary. Yes, the emotional, the spiritual, the messiness of everyday life, how we live, how we love, how we relate to others, the attitude that we carry with us as we go about our lives. These are all deeply spiritual matters as we live out being made in the image and glory of God. And so let's not polarize our lives into spiritual and material. No, no, it's all spiritual. It's all to be done to the glory of God. Okay, let me move on to the final part of my message. And that's, you know, why are so many of us struggling to find purpose? I mean, it all sounds pretty straightforward when I I say it like this, but what happened? What, what competes? How do we not get this right? And I can tell you, we're going to cover this in more detail in week six and seven as we look at the, the origin of death and the origin of sin. But today, I just want to touch on it. Genesis 2 verse 16, it says this. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. Well, we know Adam and Eve did eat from the fruit of the tree and the results were catastrophic for the world. They discovered, I put it down as an apple. We don't really know what fruit it is, but bear with the, the apple. Adam and Eve ate from this tree. The, 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 it was catastrophic results. Adam and Eve discovered evil by committing an act of evil disobedience. And the result? Deadly enlightenment. Deadly enlightenment. The result of this act of sin is that you can have sex. You can parent your kids. You can administer governments. You can enjoy leisure and creation. You can fund NGAs. You can create masterpieces of all kinds and yet not be fulfilled because you're doing it for your glory, not God's. That's the big fall, the big trouble with purpose, is that we live our lives for our glory and not the glory of God. And when we do this, we miss our purpose. When we fail to do things for the glory of God, we're missing the mark, which, by the way, is the picture language used of the actual word sin. We miss the mark. We sin. See, the result of Adam and Eve's uh, disobedience is that their relationship with God was severed. Their intimate communion with God was severed. Creation was damaged, distorted, decay set in. And ever since then, all of creation shares the same fate. We continue to miss the mark. And for as long as we ignore, reject, or fail to, to celebrate and, and elevate and um, reproduce the glory of God, we're no longer able to be his accurate representatives in this world. We're unable to know his intention, to carry out his work and his will. And what's the result? The result is our world that we're living in right now. It's the reality that we're all facing. We're in it for ourselves, not for the flourishing of all, even at the expense of others. You know, we don't just recognize the differences between people and celebrate God's creativity. No, we use those differences to divide and degrade parts of creation to the detriment and the spoiling of God's creative intent, his glory. We abuse and misuse the earth. You know, not thinking about its boundaries, its limits, its health. You know, our motivations are, are a multitude, not the glory of God. It's greed, self, wealth, gain, misplaced loyalty, misplaced love, etc., etc. The list can go on and on. Everything that we can live for as our purpose, other than the glory of God. But we know, luckily for us, Christ demonstrated an extravagant kind of love for us. You know, think about it, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree that brought death and decay. Well, Jesus Christ died on a tree so that we can experience forgiveness, redemption, restoration into the image and the likeness of God in its fullness as we live for his glory. Maybe you've been joining us and you're not yet a Christ follower. I'm, I'm hoping that, that the world through the lens of God, through the lens of the scriptures, through the lens of biblical truth is starting to make sense of this tension between, between creation, but, but all, all that's wrong with the world we see around us. I want to say to you that the key to your purpose, the key to finding the meaning for your life 
lies in the forgiveness of your sins through faith in Jesus Christ so that God can redeem and restore the image of God that he, that he birthed you with. Christ followers, Jesus is busy restoring you. He's at work making you new. And for sure, it's messy and it's complicated in this broken world, but, but that's what it means to be salt and light. I mean, you start to think of the scriptures through the lens of this, of this God restoring us into his image and likeness for his glory. That's what it means to be salt and light in a broken world, to be agents of God's kingdom and part of his family, to see people saved and believers discipled, to bring mercy to the broken, food to the starving, justice to the downtrodden. It starts to make sense of the incredible living we read about in, the, say, the book of Acts. You know, massive generosity, other-centeredness, people being radically transformed, people selling homes and giving to those in need, everyone's needs being met through the gener generosity of others. These things start to make sense as we realize that God is restoring his image and his likeness in us so that we're living for his glory as our primary driving force and purpose in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you're enjoying rest and relaxation, whether you're exercising, working, whether you're with friends and family, whether you're working, painting, creating, enjoying food or drink, whatever you do, do it as those made in the image and likeness of God for his glory. Okay, let me, let me land the message right there. I've spoken about the fact that humanity's created, that we're created, but we're distinct. It's more personal. It's unique. It's male and female. There's a role. It's God-breathed. But more than just being unique, we're made in the image of God, and that means something for our purpose. The, the purpose of humanity, the purpose of your life is to continue the work of God in creation. We continue to bring structure, order, form to the world, and fill it to the extension and increase of God's glory through multiplication, through filling the earth, through subduing, through ruling, through celebrating and enjoying creation.